Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. That comes from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This is the Essential Bible Study Podcast, and I'm Rob Alexander. And my name is Tim Young. We're back again, Rob. We're back again. Thank you nice for to see you. St- sticking around <laughs> and really completing this subject of sin. Last episode, we did a countdown of five verses that actually describe sin in different ways. Like First John says, sin is lawlessness. All unrighteousness is sin. We saw that in Romans 14, verse 23, that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And then James 4, verse 17, if you know what is right and you don't do what is right, it is sin. And then finally, we looked at Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So sin is falling short of the glory of God. So we had a really good discussion on that. I really appreciate all your that out pretty good. comments. We ended up there kind of talking about the consequences of sin, thinking, you know, really, to understand it even better, we have to investigate a little bit of where that comes from. And it comes from that key verse you read from the very first of the podcast there, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Of course, Romans has a lot to say about sin yes, and yes. forgiveness. Yes, a lot of time and, just there. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and these things. But just, let me just read it again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So it's really taking us back to Genesis, back to the beginning. It does. And it's getting us to think about the whole cause and effect. The first podcast is really identifying this in and, like you said, filling it out with the five verses. So we had a pretty good, complete picture of all the aspects of sin. And yet, we really haven't even addressed how did it all start? What is the cause of all this? And why was it important? What does it mean? And, and that sort of thing. So if it's kind of like a medical diagnosis, we've kind of got the diagnosis down yeah, of we've what got the it symptoms. is, but where does this come from? Exactly. Kind of, yeah. Well, and this is what I find is the irony about the world in which we live in today. This is what I find is somewhat ironic because we've just gone through a time of where this virus was COVID, still is yeah. to a certain extent a pandemic. It's affected a lot of people. And of course, society as a general rule has done all sorts of things of developing ways to mitigate it, to control it, to manage it, to cure it. And at the end of the day, when I looked at the statistics, they say that roughly 2% death rate, 2% of the population was dying as a result. 2%? 2%, yes. Really? And what I find ironic is we've spent all of this time and energy to solve and try to get to the bottom of something that causes a 2% death rate. And the Bible's giving us a cure for something that is a 100% death rate. <laughs> and we can't seem right. to find 20 minutes to, to try to apply and try to figure that one out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's what this podcast is for, to take a little bit of time yeah. to figure out the root cause for a 100% death rate. <laughs> and I think that's pretty meaningful in a lot of ways. But I do find that somewhat ironic. Yeah, yeah. that is ironic. Yeah, <laughs> I've read that Google has been trying to find... A cure for death, you know, a cure for death, you know, like, because (laughs) even if you don't contract a disease or anything, you're going to die. Everybody dies. We all know that, right? (laughs) Just this audacity of man to think that he can cure death, you know, give us immortality or something. But we realize that God from the very beginning has had the answer Yeah, and he's identified it for us. So 
that's what we want to do during this episode is kind of take the hint from Paul from Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and go back to Genesis and just consider some of the things back in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 right? with the creation of man and the fall of man, because this is where it all starts. That's and where he's pointing. He says, sin came into the world through one man. So now right. we're going to unravel this and go right to the very beginning. So in whatever you think Paul says there, when you come back to Genesis, this is a real event. This is the way that Paul is dealing with it. This is the way the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with it. And as you read through it, Adam and Eve are real people. They're in a a real garden. There's a real tree of the knowledge of good and evil there. And the challenge is there. And this is where it all starts. Sin and death. Yep. So we talked last episode about sin being lawlessness or sin being against God's law. Right. Right. And so from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, that is established by these trees that are in the garden. I mean, God creates Adam, and it says that Mm -hmm. he puts him into this garden that God actually had planted. So everything we think about Eden seems to be true. It's a very fruitful, very bountiful place. But it just didn't put him there to relax. It says later on that in Genesis 2 verse 15 that he put the man there to work it and to keep it. Right, right. So right away, you had some responsibility for what God has provided. Yeah. And the curious thing is like right in the middle of this garden, it says in Genesis 2 and verse 9, that out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm. And that's the curious thing when you start to think about there. There's this tree that if you ate of it, would give you the certain knowledge. Now, there really was a tree there, right, Rob? Right, it's, right. It's really going to have that effect on a person when they eat it. But it's really, I think, it's there for a purpose. I mean, God plants this tree. And why a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, and we discover God has a purpose in every aspect of it, right from the very beginning, in terms of even just separating light from darkness. And so yeah. now we have this tree of good and evil, but also the tree of life, these two physical trees that would be visible. And yeah. I think you made mention before that everything up until now has always been very good. Right. God created all things, and at the end of each day, it was good. It yeah, was if good. you get out your concordance good. and you yeah. look up the word evil— This is the very first occurrence of the word evil. Right. It's not the first occurrence of the word good. It's been used over and over and over again. Because everything God created was good. Right. But there was still this potential there for evil to happen. God is putting that tree there. And I guess there's a couple different aspects here. Like, it is a test, isn't it? It is something there which is going to test the man, whether he's going to obey God or not. And God had intended that. He created man, but he also created man to be able to exercise that free will, to to exercise that ability to make a decision, to hearken to what God and the angels were instructing him to do, or disregard, which again comes back to that essential lawlessness. But here we also then come into a very specific instruction or commandment given to Adam. Right. In verse 16, I mean, that freedom was there. You may freely eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's in Genesis 2, verse 17. So 
There's another aspect I started thinking about here too, because when I started looking up, trying to find where this phrase, the knowledge of good and evil is used in scripture, Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be all over the place. Right. I had a really tough time finding it. It's only used two other places. Just that phrase, you know. Yeah. Of course, good and evil is mentioned everywhere. Right. But the phrase, the knowledge of good and evil. Right. That whole connected sequence of words. Yeah. 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 Is only used in Deuteronomy 1, verse mm. 39. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Now, we're not going to take the time to really delve into those. But I think if you go there and you look at them, they both have to do with children of a young age. Mm who have no knowledge of good and evil. And that's really interesting because when you think about Adam in this case, he's created as a full-grown man, but he's still somewhat of a child because he just knows good from God's creation. He doesn't really know evil. And so God is acting like a father to his child in this sense and giving him some real saying, I don't really want you to know evil. I want you to stay away from evil. Yeah. Right? Just like when you're raising your children, there's yeah. a, there's a time and a place to unfold certain aspects of life to them, and you don't yeah. you don't download it all at once. You allow them to mature and come to certain phases or understanding right. in their life, and and so the response of the child, whether they're going to listen to you and accept and trust in you, or if they're going to try to usurp that. Right. And do right. things themselves. The classic example is yeah. don't touch the hot stove. Don't touch the hot <laughs> stove. <laughs> you have a choice. You, you try it once, you figure out pretty yeah. quickly. Uh, should have listened to mom and dad in the first place. And the lesson in that really is that God's laws are good and they're just. Yes. We often get this sense like, oh, I can't do this and God doesn't want me to do that. And that's no fun, you know. And But when you get down to it and you start trusting in God and you see the wisdom of the things that he's laid out, it really brings you peace and happiness. It brings you contentment that you'll never, ever know without God to direct you in that way. He is our heavenly father. He has our best interests in mind. And he really is trying to demonstrate or show us a better way. It's not like he's saying you can't do this, can't do. He's just saying you can't do this, but you can do this. Yeah. This is a way of living your life, and like you say, it's not onerous. It's just a matter of us choosing to follow that path versus another. Yeah, so you can certainly see how in the garden, like you say, uh, you've got a, a full-grown Adam, but not a mature Adam. Right, you have one that has yet to kind of really go through that process of understanding and being revealed by God all the things that ultimately should manifest themselves into that decision-making of what paths does one take. Yeah. And even when it comes to death, God tells them, you know, there's this evil called death. You haven't experienced it yet, but I'm no, telling you, yeah. it's bad. Yeah. And it's only something you can try once. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's an interesting part is that, you know, for Adam, had anything died before? No. You know, he had no concept of death right. and what that would mean. That's where he had to trust his father, that what he was telling him was for good reasons. Yeah. And that he would have to put his faith and trust in him. Well, we know it didn't work out that way. And you get down to chapter three, and here comes the real test. No. You know, in this section, and this is the other part that I always kind of look at it, is if we just read it for what it says, it actually can reveal a lot to us without overlaying any other kind of perspectives. Okay. Um, We're just going to take it simply right now. Yeah, just just read it for what it is and for what the record is. And so we have this serpent. And the first thing we know about the serpent is it says it was more subtle than any beast. 
It was more cunning than any beast. Mm. So we already know then it's a beast, beast of the field. It was part of creation. It was formed and it was given the breath of life and it was put in the garden just like all the rest of them. And so there's an equivalency that that scripture brings out that says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. So there we know it's all part of creation. It all comes ultimately from same source. The Lord God made the serpent. What's also interesting, obviously, is God gave it the gift of speech, the ability to yeah. articulate. So what we have is, is an animal with all of its instincts that is observing and looking and obviously has some cunning, has some sort of perspective, but it's still ultimately a beastly, fleshly perspective. And it's able to articulate, it's able to observe, and it basically says, we says, yea, has God said, thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden. And then in verse 4, the serpent is really just putting forward what he says is, you know, an observation. He says to the woman, you will not surely die. What's interesting here is from the serpent, and maybe we'll get into a little bit later, but that's really, I would say, an observation. Other people would say, well, that turned out not to be true, so the serpent lied. Mm -hmm. And yes, you could say the serpent lied. Did he, the serpent, know that he was lying? Lying to me is an intentional thing. You lie because you know what's the right thing to say and you don't say it. You mislead somebody. In this case, we have a serpent that is cunning, that has the ability to speak, has observations to share, and really says, you shall not surely die. We look at it and say, yes, that was a lie. For the serpent, I'm not sure if it was really conscious of its lie. In fact, when we think of the judgment for eating of the fruit is not as attributed to the serpent, it's attributed to Adam. And probably getting yeah. way ahead of my, uh, my <laughs> notes here. Well, but. I just throw in there, following along with our podcast, we talk about man being created in the image and likeness of God. That was never said of the beasts of the field, of which the serpent was, like you were right. saying. There was something missing there in its constitution where it was just basically speaking from its own fleshly mind, its fleshly inclinations in that way. Right. right? Like you say, it didn't have the likeness of God. It wasn't expected to have the moral attributes and to have that decision-making that obviously mm. Adam and Eve were given. That's where I sort of look at this section and see you have a conversation between a speaking beast that the Lord God had made with Eve and... Ultimately, he looks at the situation, and obviously he's looking at all the things that are happening. You look at the activities of Adam in the garden. You look at what's happening with the angels that are in the garden as well, and doesn't see that there's a consequence to eating of the fruit of the tree. Doesn't see that there's the potential for death. I think that's the deceivableness of sin, isn't it? I mean, just basically, yes, has God said this? And then contradicting what God says and then justifying it and those kind of things, right? So, Right. Well, even the serpent, realistically, death has not entered into the world at this point. So even mm. the serpent doesn't know what death is. Right. So what the serpent says in verse 5, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm. Mm. Where have you heard that before? <laughs> so that's true, isn't it? And so when the woman takes in all of this, this is an external temptation to her. She's listening to it, right? And right. It triggers something in her. But She sees the tree of good and evil, and there's yeah. a serpent saying, you shall know good and evil. Right. So in verse 6, now the real importance of where sin comes from and where it takes root 
is found here. So when mm-hmm. the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. There's three different aspects there of what she contemplated that was triggered in her mind. She saw, first of all, that the tree was good for food. Second of all, that it was a delight to the eyes. And third, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Those three things are interesting because you can line them up with a passage in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 where mm-hmm. John is talking about lust or desires that are in our hearts that bring forth sin, and he categorizes them exactly the same way. Great. It kind of lines up. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I think the King James there says lust, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right. There's three of them there. Yes. And you can take those and you can line them up because you got the desires of the flesh. That's when she saw that the tree was good for food. Right. Because that's really about sustaining ourselves. That's yeah. the feeling of cessation and yeah. what we partake of and feeding our bodies. Yeah. The desire of the eyes then lines up with yep. it was a delight to the eyes. Delight to the eyes. And then his third one in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 is the pride of life. Right. Which in her case was she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And that was right. really the completeness of this whole false thinking that she was now grasping to be equal with God, thinking that if she could just know good and evil to eat of this, she'll right. be like God. But sin often backfires on us, right? Yes, yeah. Well, the serpent kind of fed that idea, you know, because in verse 5 of Genesis 3, it says, ye shall be as gods or be as the angels. Yeah. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, again, we don't want to put any effort into things if we get a shortcut. If we can find a way around something and get to the end goal quicker, and I think this is part of that motivation. I mean, why wait for the unfolding and the maturity of Adam to happen when here it is right there, just to make one wise by partaking of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. This is really showing us too, like it's in our minds where this all starts. This is the important place where we have to be on guard. Yes. And and we can definitely have those lusts that conceive in our minds that bring forth sin. And so she takes of the fruit and she eats it. Yeah. James kind of touches on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a great verse. Right. Because in James chapter 1, in verse 14, I'm reading from the King James, but sure. it says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. So, own desires and enticed. Hmm. And it's when that lust hath conceived, when it really gets hold and of grasp in our minds, it bringeth forth sin. And that's when we make that critical decision as to whether we're going to be drawn away of our own lusts or whether we're going to control those temptations and we're going to apply our efforts in a way that is aligned with what God would have us do. Because that's the step here in the garden. There's that critical step where we've got these lusts, these observations, these desires, all, you could say, quote unquote, the good reasons for wanting to do it. And yet all of this is in opposition with what God had wanted to do. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the curious thing, though, is that in our verse, our key verse, it says, by one man sin entered in the world. So Eve is the one here, though, that eats of the fruit, right? Right, right. Well, but the rest of that verse is really critical because it says she did eat, but she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Mm. And I really think that's what Paul is reflecting back on. when He says, by one man, sin entered into the world. And say, okay, well, what have we kind of gone through and discussed so far? We've established that sin is determined by God and God's law, God's righteousness. And so we have already in the record of Genesis 2 that God did give a law to Adam. He didn't give a law to the serpent. He didn't give a law to Eve. He said to Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Okay, so when you go back to Genesis chapter 2, where that law was given to Adam, Eve wasn't even created from his side yet. No, saying. Okay. exactly. So here's a law given to Adam. So now when we go into the section of chapter 3, and we have this interchange between the serpent and Eve, Adam's there. It says, yeah. Adam was with her, and he did eat. That's some careful reading there, yeah. Yep. So that's, I think, what Paul's picking up on. Ultimately, it was Adam who could have stopped this from happening. Yeah. That's when he made the decision to allow it to unfold the way it did, when at any time he could have stepped in and said, no, God has commanded us. God has established this righteous law for us not to do this. And instead, he participates in the rebellion, I guess, if you want to call it that. And so that's where Paul says, ultimately, the responsibility for sin in the garden lies with Adam. So by one man, and that is the word man, sin entered into the world. But I think what also we have to then look at is, so we have this really tragic event. We have Adam really failing in in his responsibility to do what God had commanded him to do, to prevent his helpmeet, to put herself in the situation that she wound up putting herself in. But at that point, it's interesting that it says the eyes of both of them were opened Mm. and they knew that they were naked. And then they go about to sew fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. So they immediately recognize that they have a need for covering. There's something now about their nature and about themselves that they saw themselves as being naked. They were exposed. It says they hid themselves. But it's this recognition then that they are in need of covering. And of course, as we continue to read, and we don't really have time here, but it would be interesting to explore what's the significance of the covering that was provided by God. Because he obviously came and said, well, the covering that you've made, which recorded here as fig leaves, is insufficient. It's not sufficient to address the issue you now realize that you're in. Yeah. Then that's the segue into the verse that we were going to look at at verse John 3, verse 5, because it says... In the first epistle of John, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Ye know that he appeared, and this is speaking of Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Well, there's a connection right back to the garden in terms of the covering that God provided, because he provided skins of animals that required to to give up their life so that there could be a sufficient covering for Adam and Eve. But it didn't solve the big problem of sin in the world and the taking away of sins. It just provided a covering. But what we see now is obviously there's this consequence of sin, which is ultimately their condemnation to death. They will return to the dust of the ground from which they were made. 
Yeah, it sets forward mm-hmm. this whole law in motion, this constitution of sin, as it were, that now that Adam has sinned, now that we all follow that same pattern in Adam, we sin and we die and it follows the same yeah. thing, right? Well, he was mortal. And yeah. we, as his offspring, as his descendants, we suffer the consequences of his mortality. Right. You know, we don't, we're not punished for his sin, but we suffer the consequences right. of, of that sin. So we are mortal. But we have more than enough opportunity to sin on our own. Yeah. <laughs> as we said in the last podcast, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. So. so, like you said, it seems pretty hopeless, but God is there with a plan. And it's baked in there into Genesis chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ is that plan that he's going to be the covering for our sins, that he's going to be the one who's going to save us from our sins right. in the long run. So that's going to be uh, the next episode as we uh, look here and see where Jesus Christ is in the things that God provides for them. One thing that I, I just thought of that I find kind of interesting, because we really looked at the circumstances of Genesis 2 and 3 and saw how it really was in part motivated by this kind of short circuit, the the plan in the garden and the the maturing of Adam and and, and Eve. And so we know that it was thousands of years ago that this plan of redemption was put in place. And so now what we see is really sort of the mind of God unfolding as we sort of see that it's through the calling of a people. And you start in Genesis and you work all the way through to the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ and, what is it, 4,000 years transpire. Yeah. So we can be very impatient, but we're impatient only because we know we have our three score years and ten. Yeah. But God has a lot of time to unfold and develop these ideas. And as we've looked at the ideas around how sin is defined, we see that there's all different aspects to it. We see now his plan of redemption, although it was long ago, the principles behind where Christ comes into the picture and how he then provides that opportunity for redemption and to provide that salvation from sin and eternal life. It's a very methodical and laid out, and it's amazing how as we study our Bibles, we see so much about how the mind of God is revealed over thousands of years. And I guess it's just be patient and take our time and let ourselves kind of go through this process, and we have the benefit of having a preserved Word of God in these last days. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. It's a big subject. There's a lot to kind of consider in it, but I think that's a really good start to understanding what sin is and where it came from, and it's going to help us in our our future studies here because this is sin is our enemy. Yes. uh, It's what our battle's against. You need to know your enemy. (laughs) Well, that's what this was all about, is just really understanding and knowing what sin is about, and and the more you know about something, the better equipped you are to deal with it. All right. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate your time. We'd like to meet you. Every Tuesday night, we meet online for a Zoom Bible study. Come by and just say hi. It's an informal group discussion format where everybody is encouraged to ask questions and share their perspectives on the scriptures. I think you'll really like it. It happens every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To get the Zoom meeting link, go to our website at www.essentialbiblestudies.org and fill out the form. Speaking of questions, if you ever have a question about the podcast or the subject matter, 
then drop it on us at our website contact form. Again, that's www.essentialbiblestudies.org. If you'd like to share the podcast with those who are technically challenged, we've made some easy step-by-step instructions on how to listen on either an Apple or Android device. So just use this easy link, www.essentialbiblestudies.org help. That's on our website, www.essentialbiblestudies.org help. Essential Bible Studies is also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's just so many ways you can share the love of God's Word. This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the Book Road Ecclesia in beautiful Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until we meet again, dear friends, I pray to God that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.